Hey, good morning. What's going on? It's Dr. Drill with the Making Motivation Podcast. Today is Monday, February 15th, February 15th, 2021. Just started pissing down rain. Just a little bit. Got my act together. I'm heading down to the office for a busy day. See how things go. I got a couple uh, things. I'm going to try to go uh, <clears throat> send you a volley of uh, inspiration here, of motivation. I cut a little bit, maybe not what you're thinking about, but um, I've been trying to to write. All right, I've been trying to do some poetry. I might have mentioned last week that I had been listening to the master class of David Sedaris. So he's funny as hell. He's talking about storytelling. And then there was another dude earlier in the week that I was listening to that was freaking unbelievable. He's a prolific writer. And he was talking about... um, What the hell is his name, by the way? Hold on. Okay, the dude's name is Walter Mosley. Now, he's a uh, prolific writer. A lot of mysteries, I guess, but I'm sure more in that genre. He's a black man, so he writes a lot about... uh, His writings are colored, quote-unquote, about uh, some of those topics that are near and dear to him. So, I haven't read any of his work yet, but I'll tell you, it was inspiring. He did a master class on... writing and storytelling, and he was talking about plumbing the depths, to plumb the depths, to write every day for an hour or more, and just write, doesn't matter if the words come out in sentences, if you can't think of anything initially, well, you just start spitting, you know, you, you start just writing everything you can think of, and you know, as long as you commit that time to the writing... And that's what matters. Then you go back and you can you can change things and obviously do your edits. As you go back the second time around, and maybe you are able to extract something by plumbing the depths and actually become a writer. So I've got a long history of writers in my family. My uh, my mother's an excellent writer. My grandfather, paternal grandfather, was a phenomenal writer and journalist. Um, journalist. He was a he would journal, and so he would uh, do like a running diary, if you want, his daily diary. And who knows what else he did? Uh, but he was a pretty special guy. So I decided to start writing. I've done a lot of creative writing in the past, usually just raw stories that I think are funny or amusing, every once in a while a poem, so I try to sip my coffee as I endure the usual bumps on the way into work, there we go, I got a solid sip, okay, so this is my 
my poem from the other day. This is Saturday night. I wrote about double trouble. Now, I told you that I have been uh, reading a lot on the Pine Barrens, which is my home of record, as we would say in the Marine Corps. So, one of my favorite places growing up in the Pine Barrens was a local park, a, a Pine Barren Reserve called Double Trouble State Park. Pretty cool spot. And uh, this is the, there was uh, like an old village there. There were, used to be bog iron in the past, uh, industry, a bog iron industry, where they would go into these swamps, these bogs in the pines, and there would be natural deposits of iron, this type of iron ore that would seep out of the, um, out of the water, out of the, the, the land, and their deposits would be of iron. So an ore that need, would need to be refined, they would put it in a, in a big, uh, uh, what do they call it, a, um, a vat, and they would heat the fucking shit out of it, and these things would be all over the pines, and they would make molten iron into bars that would then be refined, and so on and so forth, in steel mines and shit. So it's pretty interesting. Anyway, the Double Trouble State Park was one such village. It, uh, it had a mill. It had a water supply in the Cedar Creek that would run right through it. It had uh, a bunch of buildings for you know, performing work, whether these um, workers would go in there and do whatever the fuck. They'd cut down trees for cordwood. They would uh, make pine pitch. They would maybe working on a bog iron thing, what have you. So it was pretty interesting uh, going there. We would always take the dogs, throw them in the truck, and head on down to Double Trouble. Take a nice walk, a couple miles, and uh, it's a beautiful spot. So this is my poem about Double Trouble. Running the rows of craneberry bogs, a buttressed bramble, cedar water slog. Low in the ditch with the pines watching over, just off the highway, the exit named Dover. You'll find a red berry so tough and so tart, the flooded fruit buoyant floats to the top. It's a pretty cool crop that Jersey's got. Stepping off sand-centered crabgrass pitch, down in the ditch with the green heads and ticks, chiggers and skeeters, sure could be a bitch. A village of mills, smoky bear sign. Cars with canoes would roll up behind. The roads and creeks wind to the sea ultimately through Pine Barrens history. Marshes and swamps pierced by sun bleached cedar spear pikes. Cedar spear pikes, signs of yesteryear. Witnessing all, standing there, staring but uncaring, oblivious to us, not judging. Cattails waving and lily pads floating. Anchored to the earth beneath the amber yew. Clear to the bottom just below the canoe. Pitcher plants in the shade just over the bridge. Grab that pine root and climb up, climb up the ledge. Sit for a while on a soft bed of pine. Process your senses for a time. 
Forget the World and Unwind. So again, that's titled Double Trouble. After my many experiences running around that park. They had places where you could launch your canoe and paddle through the down to Cedar Creek all the way to the sea. We wanted to, all the way to the Barnegat Bay and beyond. That was pretty neat to do that. And the, the, the uh, amber U that I mentioned is a natural color of cedar swamp, cedar water leaching out of um, those swamps. And it color and smell the, the water just like that. It was amber. And you'd see the sandy bed, sometimes gravel beneath the uh, flowing, um, beneath the flow of water. So that was always a special spot to me, and as I'm reading these books about the Pine Barrens, it, it brings back, I guess, my first love, my, my first experiences as a young man running around the Pine Barrens. So that's pretty cool. Shift gears now. I was listening to a, uh, watching an interview on YouTube between David Eagleman, who is a, uh, he's a neuroscientist, he's a very serious uh, neuroscientist. He's interviewing a guy named Sadguru, who is an Indian bloke and a mystic. So I don't know everything about this guy. I keep seeing him, though, and hearing him. He comes up uh, various YouTube stations and philosophical channels about... He's smart, I'll tell you what, he's... He's got some, got some sound wisdom. So uh, he was talking about, in part, throughout this conversation, genetic memory. He said this, I thought it was so interesting, especially since I've been talking about genealogy recently and uh, being born or made, all those concerns, all those thoughts that I have. Talk about genetic memory. He says, you turn 18 and transform into this rebel, declaring, I'm on my own path and I'm not going to be ending up like mom and dad. Then you're 45, walking like your father and talking like your mother. Your grandfather might be long dead, but he still wants to live through you. How about that? That our ancestors, you know, like we talk about what kind of say do we have in the things we do? Do we have free will? Or are our actions and behaviors and thoughts and dreams did they start long, long ago in a seed, you know, in, in our genetics? Yeah, I'm a product of my lineage, right? Like a, like some secret, some secret recipe or something that was cultivated within a family and by loving parents and but think about the history of that seed, the genetics involved. 
think about how if you were a sunflower or even a mammal that was planted or lived thousands of years ago you're probably still a sunflower today you might have some different characteristics maybe a little change a little wrinkle here maybe a taller stem more leaves but that genetic code that family recipe is really dictating the type of person you're going to be you're going to be this type of sunflower that does that looks this way and behaves this way. And you might think it has everything to do with your choice or, um, you know, your, your own free will. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This is how I'm going to live. When, in fact, you think about it. You think about, you know, your history, your lineage. You don't have, really have much say in the matter. Right? You just are, you know, and then you can start painting with your own brush, you know? You can start living your own life. You're in the hot seat, so to speak. It's your time to grow and live and flourish and make decisions that are going to benefit future generations, you know? He's so true, because he's, he's real, literally speaking to me. When, yeah, you think that you're not going to end up like mom and dad, and you question all the decisions that they made, and how crazy they are, and how ridiculous they are to end up at this point in their lives, where they're at their end of their lives, and they're not necessarily happy, and don't even have regular contact with them, because you have, you're at odds sometimes. You know, but here I am, at 45 asking some of the same questions, behaving in some of the same ways about my children growing up. You know, I had a run-in with my son on Friday. I was pissed off because I, before I hit the, um, hit the road head home, I got an email from his social studies teacher saying that half of his work was submitted and that he can catch up if he, if he tries because we still have the rest of a marking period or semester, but uh, he's got 50% right now because he didn't submit this work. Are you fucking kidding me, you know? So I get home and I'm seething, fucking seething on a Friday night. I should be, I had to control myself and from an outburst. I just said, you know what? I'm not going to flip out, but him and my wife and daughter went to get the food, our little takeout, and I said, dude, you know, this is the email. You hear it? Yeah, I know, I, I know about it. So this is the email that I got. So I know you seem to be comfortable letting yourself down, not doing your work, but I'm not comfortable with that. So I told your teacher you're going to be the best student in the class and you can have all this work submitted to him. And he was pissed, man. He spent the entire day Saturday in his room doing his homework. And... Good, you know. Take. I'm glad. I'm proud of him for taking some some of his own medicine. Proud of him for doing the right thing, realizing that he did wrong, and he's got to improve. You know, it might have very easily been me when I was 13. You know, 
didn't want to go to school, had my friends, had my girlfriends, had my other interests, didn't want to have anything to do with this crap, didn't know, understand how or why it made any sense or any had any bearing in my life. I'm not going to use it when I grow up. Yeah, I understand. I understand that education is sometimes a shit show. I was thinking about over the weekend how, you know, to, to convey the message, what I know about education, I got to be pulling up in the office soon, so I got to split, but what I know about education is this. It's a rite of passage. The curriculum is not perfect, but these are, these are um, subject matter, various subject matters that we have found to be useful in navigating your way through life and knowing about the world. And right now your job is to read this stuff and do these, do these exercises and demonstrate a basic knowledge of the world. And then when you finally get some free time, hopefully you don't hate knowledge and learning. Hopefully you don't hate, you don't hold uh, the, the knowledge, the information um, responsible for your disappointment and all the torture that you undergo to the point where you can rationalize picking up a book and reading something that you are interested in and connecting the previous knowledge that you did sit through, that you do remember, and that some of it is useful. And you can now understand you know, and appreciate what you're, you're reading in your own time and the learning you're trying to do in order to get through life. So, you know, that's, that's how I feel right now, thinking about uh, all of that. You know, from the poem that I read, it's my background, it's my upbringing, that's something that I... There were probably times when I was taken to uh, double trouble and hated it because my parents were taking me there. Oh, never get out of this stupid little town with my stupid little parents telling me what to do and I want to go hang out on the block with my buddies yada, 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 right? Come on, puss. And so, um, here I am at 45, pulling rank on my son, you know, trying to be a good dad. The circle of life, the, the genetics from our little sunflower, passed down from generation to generation, seeds sprinkled in the earth, and now I'm growing. I'm the plant, the parent plant, one of two, that have bonded and grown to the point where the seeds have matured, and now they're popped out of my sunflower this beautiful center of it, looks like a friggin' mosaic, and into the ground next to mom and dad, and that flower's growing, and we're poking it and prodding it and telling it to make the right decisions, and <laughs> so interesting, man, the way life is, so very interesting. So here I am at the office. That little uh, 15 minute speech there was made with minimal coffee in me, so that's uh, 
that's a problem. That's troubling, I know. So here I am at the office. Going to head in and start the day. Got a busy day. Wish everybody a wonderful day. Love and respect. I'll tune in later and uh, see what kind of information I got for you. See what kind of excitement we've had so far. Hope everyone had a great Valentine's Day. <laughs>